Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Whitney Elkins-Hutton. Whitney is the Director of Investor Education at PassiveInvesting.com and a partner in $700 million of real estate, including over 5,000 residential units and more than 14,000 self-storage units uh, across eight states. 1,400. Sorry, 1,400. Yeah. I mean, either number is incredibly impressive. So uh, I am really excited to hear all about your background and everything. But first, let me just say thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. And sorry, sorry to interject, but I, I, I always like making sure the numbers are right. But I aspire yeah. one day to have 14,000 self-storage units. Right, right. I, I was <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing what, what uh, the future holds for you. So um, no, obviously, uh, very impressive. Uh, I think nobody starts there. So, so maybe you can give us some of your background and just kind of let us know where you came from, how you got into real estate, and, and we'll talk about how you got to, to such a, a large portfolio. Yeah, definitely. So I got into real estate totally by accident. Um, I uh, bought my first property with a significant other in 2002 and it closed on the property. And about a month later, our relationship fell apart and it needed a rehab. I mean, that was the whole purpose of purchasing the property as that's all we could afford. The, the loan and everything was under my name. And uh, anyways, uh, our realtor, had, who was a common friend of ours, like really kind of helped coach us through the process. He was a big advocate of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He was like, buy the property, put the sweat equity in. Now you got a property and, you know, all these things. And it, a lot of it just went right over my head. And, you know, um, when the relationship fell apart, I was like, oh my, how am I going to like, how is this thing not going to financially ruin me? So I stepped at fully roommates. They were paying the rent on or the mortgage on the property. And I completed the rehab paying a lot of my friends in beer and pizza and sushi. And, you know, 11 months later I sold the property, finally got it on rehab. And that's when two things clicked for me. One, I made more that year um, with the property, selling the property to gain on the property. Than I did in my day job that I was trading 80, 80 hours a week for. And then two, um, I hadn't been paying for any of my bills. Um, you know, between the mortgage, all the utilities, my roommates had been paying for that. And these, these combined strategies are now called live and flipping and house hacking. And um, then I realized I made a mistake. I sold the property when I should have like put more renters in it and then moved on to do the next one. But Needless to say, I, the, I was bitten by the real estate bug and did several more live and flips um, solo and then also with my husband um, today. And then we realized we didn't have financial freedom. You know, it took us about a decade to realize, oh my gosh, like how are people retiring off of this? We just have another full-time job. Um, you know, we were painting it, you know, doing all the repairs at nights and on the weekends. And it really hit, we hit a kind of a crossroads whenever we had our little baby girl. And I'm like, we can't keep this up. <clears throat> and then, so a friend of ours, again, pointed out this mistake was just like, why don't you keep the property and put a runner in it? And I'm like, genius. <laughs> um, so I, you know, like anything, I'm a very driven person. You know, once I finally see the light, you know, we went from zero, um, you know, long-term rentals in our portfolio to 30 in under two and a half years. And then that's when we hit our next ceiling of achievement was, um, you know, wanting to be able to tap into that cash flow in order to level up our life. And um, we had only planned for me to be able to exit my job and my husband wanted to be able to exit his too. 
And I'm like, oh no, uh, we need 80 properties to do that. And I'm like, I don't care what they say. Single family properties might be passive in income, but definitely not even with property management, not passive truly with your time. Yeah. And so that's when we decided we need to move into multifamily real estate and start scaling our portfolio that way. And we did a, a lot of it, uh, you know, passively through passive investments, true passive investments with experienced operators. And then we also became the operators ourselves on 10 deals. Well, that's, there's a lot there that, that I love. I mean, I can really resonate with the story a lot because I did, I did the live-in flips. I did the, you know, the, uh, the house hacking, but it wasn't called that, right? It was just, I had I had roommates because I couldn't afford the mortgage myself and I fixed things up because I couldn't afford to pay someone else to fix, you know what I mean? It's just, so I, I, I did a, had a similar path in that, you know, accidentally becoming an investor. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you realize along the way that, that that's really hard to scale those single family houses. And it, 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 you know, sort of gives you that mindset shift. When, when did that happen? When did you sort of decide to switch into multifamily? Yeah, so this was um, right, I'd always been, so a couple things happened. Let me kind of back it up. Uh, you know, in about two, and towards the end of 2015 into 16, um, I had bought several single family properties. I wanted to be able to um, scale faster. And the only way I knew how to do that was to buy everything with our own cash. Now I was using leverage. I was using, you know, bank lending mm -hmm. and financing on that, but I was just doing what I knew from owning primaries. So I hired a financial coach actually, and to help me figure out how to organize my finances, use private money, use um, additional, you know, resources that I had in my hand more, um, efficiently. And when that happened, um, I, I broke up with the IRS. Um, I, I don't suggest doing this, but I did. I was just like, I didn't, you know, we modeled it out and I was like, I can, I'm going to take a bet on myself and I'm going to pull my retirement funds and pay, pay all the taxes and pay all the penalties. And I, we modeled that I would have, I would make up everything within inside of two years. Um, and then I would be able to grow it exponentially faster than if I left it in the, the IRA itself. Now we did leave um, part of my gains in um, a self-directed IRA and I invested those into passive deals. Now we can argue all day long. Was that the best thing to do? Don't know. However, I went into a passive deal just to kind of, again, I doubled down on real estate. Um, and that's really when I, it kind of hit me that when I'm trying to figure out how to scale the multifamily side of the business, I kept going and looking at, you know, the, what these other operators were doing with these deals that I was invested in, in my self-directed IRA. And I'm like, wait a second, this paycheck, this distribution comes in on a monthly basis, very regularly. I'm getting, you know, refinance money back out. I'm getting capital return. And I mean, am I getting, could I make a better return by doing it myself? More than likely, yes. But the return of my time, I, I hands down, I was getting a better return of my time with these passive investments in my portfolio or in my like self-directed IRA. And so that's really like when the multifamily bug bit us is that, wow, we're investing in a, a scalable operating business with an opera, a trusted valued operator who knows what they're doing. And that's the key, right? You can't just invest with anybody. Um, 
you have to be with an experienced operator. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes total sense. I want to back up just a little bit because you said something there that I think is interesting. And, and when you talked about essentially getting all of those single family houses through your own money. So you, you got to, to 30 houses in two and a half years in just using your own money. From a from a financing stand, so I guess that's one thing if you're like uber wealthy and you have a bunch of money to uh, buy them in cash. But I, I, there are a lot of problems that come with that level of you know scaling it on single family. So I wonder if maybe you would touch on that a little bit before we kind of continue into the multifamily side of things, because I, I think that's an important thing for a lot of people start out in that space. Yeah, I left out some big golden nuggets here. Um, so. I like pointing it out. We've all heard the iceberg analogy, right? Like, you know, iceberg, how much of it is above water? About 10, 15%, right? Much like people when they're, they see other people that have built a, a portfolio, what you see are the numbers. That is probably the 10 or 15% above water. What's underwater? What's that foundation that they build it off of? So um, being able to scale that type of portfolio, there was 10 years in there that we were doing two things. One, remember, we're doing our own um, flipping deals, right? We're doing live-in flipping, okay? House hacked when we could, whenever, you know, it, it was feasible for us to, because um, I knew eliminating my housing bill was gonna be a big thing for us to get rid of, um, but it didn't always work. We're a young couple, we wanna have our own space too. Um, two, we also reduced our expenses to where, um, and I don't mean reduced our lifestyle, we reduced our expenses to the point where we were able to live off of one income and we completely saved the other income. Okay, now um, that was a tough balance because uh, my husband's a spender, I'm a saver. So there was a lot of like nights where I'm like, we've got to like save more. And my husband was like, no, we're going on vacation. <laughs> like This is happening. Um, so that was a really interesting line to walk. Um, now, so we were building up buckets of capital, right? To be able to, you know, save, but and also arm ourselves. We knew we wanted to do something with it. When we started deploying it into single family real estate, you know, we're putting 20% down on our first few properties. And then it dawned on me, because I'm seeing all these turnkey providers being able to like turn properties really fast. Uh, you hear the Burr method by yeah. rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Um, where people are recycling the same capital. Um, so I actually ran out of money by deal 10. Yeah. Okay, remember, I did 30 deals. I ran out of money at deal 10. And that's when I was just like, I hit a wall or I was about to run out of money at deal 10. Um, so what did we do? Okay, we started taking what the remainder capital that we had left and we started doing these burr deals. Now it's kind of hard to do right now, but in this day, you know, when we we're buying, we were able to get a property you know, and be all in with our construction for rehab at about 65, 70% of the total value of the property. So we'd re, we would put a tenant in, put a stream of income on the property, and then we'd refinance all or most of our capital back out. We're saving one of our paychecks on top of it. And then we would just go into the next deal. And we just, you know, we were just, you know, did that as quickly as we possibly could. We also didn't consume the cash flow from the properties for the first few years. We were dumping that all back into the business to be able to scale. I mean, it, that's really an incredible pace that basically talk about a house a month, right? If you did 30 houses in, in two and a half years. So that's mm -hmm. a, a very fast pace. And I, I think 
your strat you, you know you essentially accelerated the strategies that people used and, and compressed it all to to a small time frame but one of the things that i think comes up is is the lending on that that number of single families and having to use what i've i never got to this level in single family but what i've heard is that people have to then go to a portfolio lender or something like that how did you how did you manage that because i think what i what i've also heard is that it's about that 10th property where that really becomes a problem so what did you um encounter there yeah so um we first initially my my husband was like this is your baby not mine i cheer you on babe go for it and i'm like well and as i started digging in i'm like yeah you might not be as passive as you want to because i think i'm going to need to use your credit here in a little bit but we um we purchased we made sure we each could qualify for deals so we set ourselves up, you know, and, you know, dividing capital between the two of us, you know, to where we each looked attracted to the lender. So I filled my 10 spots. Okay. Um, your golden tickets. Now here's the thing. My husband and I, we owned our primary together. So I only got nine golden tickets and he only got nine. Now we made sure we took advantage of those spots first. But when we started doing the rehab properties, that's really we were able to step on the gas because now the property carried the debt, not us personally. The underwriting was so much straight, so straightforward as opposed to us being able to carry the debt on the property personally that, you know, could the property eventually pay for itself, carry, carry all of the expenses. And when we did that, that's how we were able to buy almost like sometimes two a month because I could be qualifying for a commercial loan and my husband could be qualifying for a commercial loan at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, I feel like the lending side of real estate investing is maybe the most important piece in all of it is figuring out how to find the the right lending for what you're trying to achieve and you know sort of talking to different lenders and and so your your story there that that progression what you did is a lot of people just get stuck there they're like oh i've reached my i've used up my tickets i whatever you want to call it i i, I don't have the ability to keep going forward but but i i love what you're saying there because these are just things that you know, I don't, I don't know how you knew how to do them, but, but that people can listen to this and say, oh, okay, well, she figured out ways to get through this. And that there, there are, you know, there are ways around all of those little roadblocks if you, if you really want it. So uh, I think a really good, good lessons, but also, you know, sort of good, just mindset piece where you, you didn't say, oh, we're done, we're done. We got our, <laughs> <laughs> we did the most we could do. We're all done. Stop here. You know, that kind of being creative, qualifying separately, all of that, I think is, is really uh, important pieces. So I, I did want to focus on that a minute, but, but we can go ahead and move on to then your transition into, into multifamily. How did you, how did you see that? What did, what did that look like to you when you got to that point of deciding to make the switch? Yeah. Well, to back it up, I want to make sure that I, I leave the listeners here with kind of, again, like a pearly nugget. It's um, two things. One, you know, um, how, asking yourself, how can I, right? When you hit that, like, you know, obstacle, like it's you know, not, not I can't, but how can I? And then it's going to find the who, not the how. You don't have to find the resource. Go find the person who's already done it and ask them, right? You know, um, I always use this analogy. You know, I ask my coaching clients when I first bring them on, you know, what is the shortest distance between two lines? And without a doubt, they all say, draw a straight line. 
And I'm like, no, it's two points. You fold the paper in half. That is, you got to be able to collapse the distance and collapse time. And that's where you get other people involved to help you out. I didn't have the answers, but I knew my lender did because he invested in over 40 single family properties. He's got it figured out. And I just yeah. called him up and I'm like, you know, um, you know, can I you know, pay you for your time? You know, can you coach me on just this like little piece? And so I did that over and over. That's just a kind of a recurring theme. Yeah. So when we get into like, how did I transition to multifamily? Again, this was kind of a little bit, um, you know, the passive side that was natural um, as far as me working with my financial coach. And he's like suggesting that if I vary my exposure in real estate, right? Um, we always talk about diversify, diversify, diversify. It doesn't mean go get in stocks and bonds and stuff like that. But you know, what are the uncorrelated assets in real estate? Single family, multifamily, residential assisted living, self-storage. We've got car washes, we've got hotels. There's so many different things that you can get involved in in real estate. So, um, I did not want to become an expert in all those areas. I didn't have time. I didn't even have the desire. So, but I knew I could access those by sourcing the best operators in those spaces. But for me to get into multifamily actively, again, that was another fortuitous encounter. Um, I was at a real estate conference here in you know my backyard in Denver, Colorado, and a friend of mine introduced me to um, Annie Dickerson, um, who you know a lot of people know at Good Egg Investments. I love them, and we just hit it off. And they were looking for somebody to become you know uh, scale their business. Um, I think I originally came on um, as you know operations coordinator. I think they were actually looking for a virtual assistant. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're looking for an operator. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen this job description. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no EA or VA that can handle this. So, um, you know, really, you know, that was my first foray into private equity, um, getting in on the active side of things. And so, um, you know, spent years there helping scale that business. And, you know, one of our partners that we worked with was PassiveInvesting.com. So I've worked with Passive Investing on the active multifamily side for years. I, you know, know Dan, Danny, and Brandon, you know, very well. Um, I've invested personally in a lot of the deals as a limited partner. And now here I am. <laughs> so again, like sometimes those chance meetings, you just don't know what's going to come of them and, you know, how they'll eventually pan out. Yeah. And I mean, people talk about how the importance of networking in, in real estate and specifically multifamily is even, even more uh, apparent that it, how important it is because you can do a lot in the single family space, probably without you know, you, you needed your lender, but you don't have all these different seats that people sit in, in terms of, you know, trying to get multifamily deals and, and syndications together. So why don't you talk a little bit about your role and kind of what you do, what, what that looks like uh, within PassiveInvesting.com? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, again, my um, previous role before coming to PassiveInvesting.com was in the Director of Investor Relations and Operations. And I love it. I'm a very competitive person and very driven. And at the same time, I had this kind of like internal struggle, you know, you know, uh, what was my why in life? Like, what do I want to do? What, what, what like lit me up in the morning? And, um, you know, I was competitive myself on, you know, completing the race piece of things. But what really lit me up was just talking to investors and introducing to them the power of real estate in general. But also for those people, you know, high net worth um, income earners, 
um, tired landlords that have a lot of equity in their properties, um, you know, or just busy, really busy professionals. Like, how can you still get exposure to real estate, leverage the power of real estate as a tool to achieve your goals in life? And that is, you know, again, you know, that's what lit me up. And I really just tried to figure out like, what, where does this next iteration of my career go? And uh, Danny and I were talking on the phone one day and he goes, do you like the race? I'm like, yes and no. Um, And he was like, well, what would you do? And I was like, I would just talk to investors all day long. That's all I would do. He was like, done. <laughs> so, man, that's how you know, I'm here. I have a counterpart on the investor relations side, Andrew. Um, he lives for the raise. He lives for it and he loves it. And that's his own genius. And so, you know, um, I just, I just, like I said, I just love um, educating people and showing them that you don't have to become a real estate guru in order to reap the rewards and advantages of real estate. Yeah, I mean, and that that's a hundred percent true. And this, uh, I, I really love talking to people that that are are good at capital raising and investor relations and things like that because I personally feel like that's that's a struggle point for me. I think it's just one of those things that I, uh, I don't know, it, it's uncomfortable. I'm trying to get better with it, but it, you know, I it, I know that it is uh, something that I need to work on. But I I just love the, the people that are good at it. it it's it's just a whole different skill set. And maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of, I mean, obviously you're, you're easy to talk to You're you've got a great personality. I don't think it's not like people are going to have a hard time talking to you, but how do you use that? What, what, what tips might you give to people that are, you know, out there raising capital to help them interact better with, with investors and sort of, sort of create that relationship? Oh my gosh, there's so many things here. Um, so I will try to not go to all. I know it's not one single right. tip. Yeah, there's. Keep the crowd here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before this, I was working, I did 11 years. I, actually, I came from public health. Okay. So um, my uh, in public health, especially like in community outreach type positions, you have to be able to sell people on really tough things. But the, the power of public health is usually that person 110% believes in what they're trying to sell. For me, I was in the middle of condo, I ran a condom distribution program for the state of Louisiana and we needed, you know, um, it was hard to do all sorts of like types of education within the community. I'll keep this part very brief, but I, I full on believed in what I was doing. And so I think if you, if you know what you're doing and you 110% believe that it is the solution for that person, it will ooze out of your skin whenever you, you know, you have a conversation with them. So that's kind of obstacle number one, like you have to believe in the product that you're selling. So it goes back to, you know, um, my 11 years in community health and nutrition, um, you know, working for a retail chain pharmacy, uh, I, being a practitioner on the floor, I had to believe in all the products in my store. Um, in order to, you know, create rapport, but also close the sale. Same thing here in real estate. So I think most of us carry that with us. I think the second obstacle that people have um, is twofold. Like you can go either direction. One, they don't want to hear no. Okay, getting over that, that fear of no. And the really the only way you're going to get over that fear of no is to actually have many, many, many conversations. 
And then eventually you just, it'll, you'll just be like, you'll start hearing no is not now. Okay. Uh, which most of the time it is, you know, yeah. especially whenever we're doing a raise, you know, you're not going to be able to ask, you know, most of the time a, an investor that you just randomly bumped into at the coffee shop for $50,000. That's just not how this works. It's a relationship business. So putting yourself out there, putting yourself in conversation with them and having like multiple touches with them before you um, do a hard ask for that type of money. Um, I think the industry standard says seven. And I think that brings me up to kind of the other obstacle is putting yourself out there. I think a lot of us have a fear of like, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me if, if, you know, you know, I put myself out there. I stumble. I sometimes say the wrong words. Um, anybody that knows me really well knows me that I don't, I, I'm horrible at spell checking my emails. <laughs> like, so I had to get over those fears, but you know what that makes me, it makes me relatable because we're all, you know, all of us deep down, you know, are kind of like that. And so I don't know, those are, those have been what's worked really well for me, um, are just kind of like those three, like little nuggets, but it took practice. You have to do your 10,000 hours. You have to do the lift. Um, you have to put yourself out there. Yeah. And like any curve, bell curve, right? Like we're talking about marketing. You put yourself out there. 20% of the people are going to like engage with you, love you. They're your followers. 20% are going to hate you. Like you're just, you don't get it. You don't understand why, like why, the, you know, why they hate, why the animosity. And then the other like 60% in between, you're going to have to do a lot of work on, right? Like you're going to have to, you know, massage that relationship and, and date a while before, you know, you can um, you know, kind of close, close the deal with, with them. Right. right. No, I, it's a great way to, to put that in terms of that breakdown of, of people you talk to. But I also think, I mean, that, you know, those three things you touched on the, the belief, the belief in what you're selling, right. Whether it's, you know, an investment opportunity or, or, uh, you know, pharmaceutical product, whatever it is, right. The, the belief in what you're selling is, is number one, I think, if you don't strongly believe in it, you're probably in the wrong spot, right? You probably shouldn't be raising capital for something that you don't strongly believe in. So that one is, I find that's the easy one for me, right? Like I hundred percent believe in it. I think everybody should be invested in real estate. Like I think that's the right way to go. I understand that not everybody is going to, but, but it's not, it's not like the belief part of it's not a problem. But yeah, the, the uh, most people don't don't like to hear people say no. They feel like it's a, a bit of a, a personal rejection, um, mm -hmm. and and it's not. It's just I, I like that you said you know it's not a no. It's a not now because yeah, that people uh, you know maybe they don't want to invest with you the first time. Maybe they don't want to invest with you the third time. But but then they they see what's going on and, and they come back around. So I think that's a, a really great way to put it. And then yeah, just putting yourself out there and not not being afraid of what people think and, and your willingness to be a human, whether that's with spell check or whatever it is, but that's just, that that's it. Like people don't, you don't, they don't want to invest with a robot. They want to invest with someone they can relate to and get along with. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's all, all really great advice. You, so you specifically said you, you're not a huge fan of the raise, which maybe just for listeners that don't necessarily know, do you want to explain the difference between that part and what you do kind of uh, in, instead of, I'm sure you're a part of the raise too, but kind of the difference between you and your counterparts sort of specific roles? Yeah. So um, the, 
the raise is like whenever you have an active deal and it's open. So you're the operator, the team is generally in the due diligence period. And, you know, it, let's go back, you know, make it tangible. Like if you, if you have a property under contract and you have like 30 days to do your due diligence and gather your funds, get all your lending documents together and get it closed. Right. And just same thing, like, you know, on say like a multifamily or self-storage deal or whatever, we don't, we generally will have like a due diligence period of say 45 or 30 days and then 30 days to close, or maybe two weeks due diligence and 30 days to close. And so once we get really, you know, pretty much, you know, we, we are fairly certain we are gonna go, get through due diligence with unscathed or with like limit, uh, very few bombs in the road, uh, we start putting the deal together. And that activates the team, the investor relations team, um, to work with marketing, to get the operating memorandum together, start getting all the, you know, the, the deal funnel put together, all the things for the investor services needs, uh, the PPMs, all the legal paperwork. There's a lot that goes into that. And so, um, and then you've got to put it out in front of your investors. And then, you know, a lot of investors, you know, especially if it's their first time investing with you, want to have another conversation, or maybe it's a new market. Um, or maybe it's a new vertical, right? Right now we are raising on a hotel deal. This is a new vertical for us. We've been researching it and working through it for over two years. We're super excited, but we have a lot of investors that are like, hey, we want to touch base with you before we write this check. And so that's kind of what I call the raise piece is having that, um, that short time period that it's really like, go, 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 go. It's nights, it's weekends. Um, some people live, uh, live for it and other people, you know, um, you know, it kind of can be a little bit of energy draining. I like it. I'm a very competitive person. However, like whenever I, I take a look at what I love more, it's actually just having those general conversations with people about their goals, their dreams, what do they want to create? Uh, what, um, you know, you know, helping them answer some of the questions about what might fit best in their portfolio. Um, I'm not an investment advisor, but if I jump on the phone with somebody and and we're talking through a bunch of questions and we identify they need huge depreciation to offset some sort of capital gain they've got going on. Well, you know, we're not, you know, I might talk to them about getting into multifamily or, you know, it's some sort of asset class that would offer a larger depreciation than say self-storage that has a shorter depreciation schedule. So I help people kind of rethink um, how some of these assets would play in their portfolio and also, you know, help them think about what they can diversify, you know, the operator, the deal and the market. Um, you know, I have some investors that are like, I will only invest in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm like, why? <laughs> There's a whole world out there. Um, so, you know, we have conversations like how can you, know, you construct a, a portfolio that again has that diversification into it and, you know, take advantage of, you know, multiple markets to make money. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, both there's both aspects of that, you know, capital raising or investor relations piece are stressful at times, but, but yeah, the, the, the raise is when everything's compressed into a particular time period and then it really becomes a race. And I think the trick with that is to not feel or come off as desperate that oh i now i really need to get you know you're in a your role outside of the raise if you're 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 a problem solver as you said you're you're telling people helping them diversify helping them solve whatever uh specific financial 
problem or or opportunity they're looking for in that yeah if they need depreciation or they're you know they're looking for a cash flow deal or you're looking for maybe a development deal whatever the case may be you know knowing those different options to guide them i think is is really a great space to be in and that's actually i would say that's probably what i agree or that what i prefer in that whole capital raising area too because it's there's less of that i guess time pressure as it as it happens when you're in the the actual <laughs> race to close phase so um I, I appreciate you sort of spelling that out just so, so people understand kind of what happens um, on that side of things. So uh, why don't we switch gears and I'll go ahead and ask you the questions that I like to ask every guest so that I don't, I don't keep you too long. Um, I love the capital raising topic and could, could ask you a million questions, but we'll, we'll switch gears here. And I will start with the first one, Whitney, which is what I ask every guest is uh, related to the name of the show, but, but what is your why? What, what drives you? Oh, I'm in pursuit of the five freedoms of life. And so freedom, financial freedom, time freedom, freedom of choice, okay, freedom of location and freedom of impact. And so um, in those, you know, freedoms that I'm in pursuit of, I mean, it's to be with family and friends and travel. Uh, that's, that. that's, again, I think I, I'm not, real estate is not like, what I desire to do, it's a tool. I think it's a very powerful tool to give me what I want out of life. Right, yeah, I, I, that's a great point. I mean, I think that, you know, working within the real estate space can be very, very enjoyable, but I think ultimately what, what everybody is using it for is to achieve those freedoms in life. I think that's, that's ultimately the goal for, for nearly everyone in the space. So um, it makes a ton of sense. Um, tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, uh, you know, special skill, a hobby, something, your, your interest that, uh, maybe not everybody knows about you. Ooh, hmm. I've got a lot, I got a lot of hobbies, so, um, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I will tell you because I'm actually like looking out the window. One of them, it's not a skill or a special hobby, but something about me that most people don't know is um I, I come off very energetic and you know go 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 all the time but if it's raining out i am the type i'm the first person to cancel a meeting and curl up on the couch with a good movie and popcorn um so i i i can i i that is something that is a little known about me but um relate <laughs> right um but special skill i think you know really just taking the complex and distilling it down into simple actionable steps for people. I think we tend to, um, not only from, you know, in real estate uh, and finance, you know, come up with this kind of like crazy terms and buzzwords and, you know, names for strategies that just boggle people's mind. It really isn't that complicated. We can really strip, strip things down and make it far more accessible, accessible for people. And that's what I love doing. I was just doing a webinar today over hotels because um, we have a new hotel deal out and, and we had to like go through a Rolodex of like terms uh, that people were like, well, hold on. What does that mean again? What does that yep. mean again? I was just like, okay, let's, let's equate it back to multifamily. And they're like, oh, well, why did we change the term? I'm like, because that's what we use in the hotel space. Because <laughs> right. that's what people do. They just like to make it a little more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally uh, understand that. And, and I'm sure that the ability to, to simplify these things is, is incredibly useful in, in what you're doing in your specific role. Um, 
speaking of this, when people want to reach you, uh, what, what's the best way to, to get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me at passiveinvestingwithwhitney.com. And there um, you can register you know, for to see our deals, but also get some free goodies. Um, I have a checklist and an ebook for people there. Um, you can also take a peek at my calendar and hop on there if you want to schedule time with me. And um, we can talk about all things real estate, um, especially if you want to get into passive real estate. I'm happy to you know, just talk, you know, talk shop with people. Awesome. Awesome. Final question for you, Whitney. What is a piece of advice you would give to someone who is starting out um, as, as an investor? And, and you can choose to answer that either as, a, as an active or, or a passive investor, which, whichever way you like. Yeah, I think, I think it, my answer would be the same for both is um, ready, fire, aim. Um, that first deal, um, I'm not saying don't go into the deal, whatever, if it's single family, multifamily, passive deal, you know, totally blind with no education and, and with somebody that, you know, won't, that isn't a, a good operator or, you know, helping you out. I'm talking about, um, it, don't get, don't be perfectionist. Don't get it stuck in deal analysis. That first deal is going, you're going to learn so much more by just getting into the deal than you would if you just sat on the sidelines. Um, right now in today's environment, you know, we're, we're recording this May, 2021 or 2022. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I lost Time a year flies. there. Time yeah, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, um, interest rates are going up, you know, inflation is running rampant. Um, and a lot of people are chasing yield and they're seeing, they're trying to go, well, maybe I'll just wait for asset prices to come down guys. Uh, the, the values and the debt, when is that, you know, they're waiting for the recession to hit and things to tank that that normally doesn't happen. Um, you know, 2008 aside, which was a whole different beast, but um, getting in now um, and getting into a solid deal that can grow over time and grow your cash flow over time that that's huge. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I, I think it, it all the deals all just come down to a math problem. So it doesn't really matter that the interest rates have come up you just it's a math problem and the, along with the interest rates coming up but the 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 rentals the rental growth is huge so it, it's kind of it, it works itself out I, I think you're right you know just just get in there get in there and and you know find a way to to make your money make money that, that's really what yeah. it comes down to i mean some of the deals um you know on these single family properties that i still have left i mean they maybe penciled out at 10 percent, you know cash on cash initially when I bought them, which is fantastic. They those same deals might only pencil out to 5% cash on cash. Where they are today though, over time, they're like at 17, 18, 20% cash on cash. Right. So um, you, you just might have to wait a little bit for that growth to happen, for rents to catch up for the asset prices. Um, but you, know, um, you get paid so many other ways in real estate, it's not all about the cash flow um, right now. 100% agree, 100% agree. Well, listen, thank you so much, Whitney. I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and, and all that you shared. I think uh, people get a lot of value out of it and, and really you know, can, can learn from you. And I'm sure they'll be happy to reach out to you and, and uh, perhaps become an investor in, in one of your deals. Awesome. Well, again, um, passive investing with Whitney.com. If I can be a resource to anybody, um, you know, hit me up. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate that. Uh, and with that, we'll go ahead and sign out. Uh, have a great day.